Good morning. And welcome. Glad that you're with us this morning. And I'll say it too. Happy Father's Day. All our fathers and grandfathers and stepfathers and stand-in fathers and father figures, uh, we honor you this morning. And if you remember on Mother's Day, Aloha Humphrey took it upon herself to make sure that all the moms left here with a little gift after Mother's Day. Well, Aloha Humphrey has done it again. <laughs> I take no credit for this, but Aloha wants to make sure that all of our fathers leave here this morning with a gift. Um, so when you dads leave the auditorium this morning, there'll be some teenagers standing at the doors to, uh, to give you something uh, to honor our, our dads. So be watching for that. And also, I have an announcement to make, and I was supposed to make it last week. And I was so sure that I wouldn't forget this announcement that I didn't write it down. So I forgot this announcement. But uh, I wrote it down this week, and I still remember it anyway. Uh, we want to celebrate with Amora Shelton over here, who was baptized uh, two weeks ago. Wave your hand a little bit, Amora. Okay. Moore is the daughter of Jeremy and Jen Shelton, and uh, we celebrate with that family. Be sure and give her a hug uh, and, and uh, welcome this new sister into the family. Bruce Larson tells a story about taking his family camping one weekend in the uh, hills of uh, Northern California. And during the camping trip, he takes his family of four on a bicycle ride, and they're going through the trails there in the woods, and he sees a sign that says, Naturalist Camp, and an arrow going one direction. So he thinks, <laughs> you see where this is going, right? So he thinks to himself, wow, you know, it must be a great place of nature, a lot of beautiful sights. So he takes his family down the trail towards the Naturalist Camp. About two miles into the trail, he realizes what Naturalist Camp really means when he sees four adults riding bikes towards him and none of them have on a stitch of clothing. Now, what do you do, right? He couldn't turn around. There wasn't any room to get off the trail. So they sort of get off to the side, and you know, they all look, kind of look the other way as these four clothesless uh, adults go riding by them. And he's scrambling for what to say to his family. How do I explain this? How do I apologize for this? He turns around, and there's his seven-year-old son, wide-eyed, looking at him, shocked. And his boy said, Dad... Did you see those people? They weren't wearing helmets. <laughs> we all know the importance of helmets, right? We are starting to wind down this sermon series on Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And this morning, we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. And again, this morning, we're going to read through this whole section of Scripture because it is so good. And it is so powerful. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, 
and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul instructs us to take the helmet of salvation. We all know how important helmets are. If you're riding a bicycle, if you're riding a a motorcycle, we know the importance of protecting our heads. If you're just even a, a casual fan of the NFL, you'll know how seriously the NFL has started taking protecting its players' heads. You know, a massive lawsuit was settled not too long ago. And a tremendous amount of money and effort and time has been put into how can we better protect these players, especially these players' heads. And because of that, a tremendous amount of money has been put into how can we improve the helmet? Because if we're going to protect the player's head, we've, we've got to come up with a better helmet. Well, Rome realized that as well. Rome understood how important it was to have the right helmet and the right protection. As we've been doing in this series, we're going to spend just a little bit of time talking about that piece of armament. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about a Roman soldier's helmet. Then we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what that means to us as Christians and why Paul would tell us to put that on and fall with with the armor of God. A Roman soldier's helmet did a couple of things. Most obvious was it protected his head, right? Uh, Roman soldiers' helmets were extremely well made. We tend to think, okay, 2,000 years ago, they were probably not much more than a bucket on a head, right? Not at all. These helmets had tremendous workmanship in them. They were extremely well made. Uh, they were heavy. So heavy that soldiers had to put what amounted to a sponge underneath their helmet so they could be able to wear them comfortably for long periods of time. They were made so well that they were able to withstand a blow from a battle axe without being penetrated. So obviously a helmet for a soldier was to protect his head. But it was actually even more than that. It was also kind of a proclamation. We talked about this a little bit with the shield of faith. A soldier could be identified by the helmet that he wore. He could identify what, what army he was fighting for, what group he was fighting with. Those helmets would have some, some engraving on the side, some, some markings on the side that could be identified. Not only that, they were a little bit flamboyant. On ceremonial days, soldiers would take uh, some bird feathers or some dyed horse hair, and you know, they'd have this ceremonial uh, headdress on top of their uh, helmet. You've seen pictures of that before. Uh, it wasn't just a piece of pro- uh, protection. It, it was kind of a statement that soldiers made with their helmets as well. That's what helmets meant to soldiers in the first century. So why does Paul tell us to put on the helmet of salvation? Well, let's start simple. Let's <laughs> don't miss the obvious. Let's don't make this harder than it has to be. I think a big part of what Paul is saying is watch your head. Okay? You need to watch your head. If you walk around a construction site, or if you're walking around, you know, kind of some weird structures, there's usually two signs that you'll read. Watch your step, watch your head. As followers of Christ, we need to watch our step. And we need to watch our head. And since I'm a preacher, 
I'm going to go ahead and stretch a point a little bit, but I think it's, I think it's legitimate, and I think it's worth reminding ourselves we need to watch our head with a capital H. We need to watch our head that is Christ. Just a couple of chapters earlier in the same book, Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. Capital H, that is Christ. We need to watch, we need to follow, we need to imitate our head, Jesus. But I think there's also a point that can be made about watching what's inside your head. Watching what you allow into your head, protecting, guarding your mind. Remember, Paul said, pick up the helmet of salvation. He was talking to Christians in the book of Ephesians. He was talking to people who were already saved. He says, I want you to be sure and have on the helmet of salvation. So this morning, I want to just throw some scripture at you. I don't want you to think that this is what Tim's saying. I don't want you to think this is just my opinion. I just want to, I want to throw some scripture at you. I want you to be sure you understand this is what scripture says about this subject. Warning and admonishing and encouraging Christians to watch your mind. It's a theme of Paul's writings. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your minds. We're familiar with Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. One chapter later, Romans chapter 13, Paul is actually going to use this armor analogy again. He says, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. When you satisfy the desires of the sinful nature, nature, it starts with a thought. It starts in your mind. Paul warns us, don't think about that. Guard your mind. Pay attention to what you allow yourself to, to concentrate on. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you too will appear with him in glory. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Think about good things. Think about godly things. Guard your mind. Protect your mind. And I love Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Those are all from the Apostle Paul. Over and over again. 
Paul stresses the importance of guarding our minds, guarding our thoughts. Paul knew that so much of our behavior is the fruit of what we allow ourselves to think about and what we allow ourselves to take in. Romans chapter 8, there's that really famous section of Scripture where Paul talks about the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right after that, Paul talks about guarding our minds, being aware of our focus. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is actually talking about a mindset. What kind of mindset we have to adopt. Uh, Verse 5 of that chapter. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. He's making a comparison here between people who live according to the sinful nature and people who live in accordance with the Spirit. And Paul says, it's a mindset. It keeps coming back to just just a mindset. And, And then right after he makes that statement, the very next verse, Paul gives us the result of that mindset. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit, that's life and peace. So I've got to ask myself, you've got to ask yourself, is my mind controlled by the Spirit? Man, I don't know. How do I answer that? Well, are you setting your mind on things above? Are you asking the Spirit to to fill your minds with things that are good and pure and wholesome? Are we controlled by the Spirit? If we are, Paul says, that's the result of life and peace. Now, we've talked all throughout this series that the the things that Paul tells us to put on, the the pieces of armament, uh, kind of give an indication of how the enemy is going to attack. You need to wear this because the enemy is going to do this. So what is Paul referring to? What's what's he indicating the enemy is going to do when he tells us we need to put on the helmet of salvation? Well, it's an indication of where the enemy is going to attack, right? Our enemy specializes in psychological warfare. Our enemy is an expert in mind games. And again, it's not flesh and blood. That's not who our enemy is. The enemy is Satan. He's going to, uh, he's going to uh, intimidate, manipulate. He's going to do everything he can to cause our minds to go straight to the gutter. That's the enemy's goal. He wants our minds just to end up in the gutter and to stay there. Look at Proverbs 15. A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. <laughs> yeah, you ought, to, you ought to mark that passage. A wise person is hungry for knowledge. A fool. He feeds on trash. What we think matters. Let me relieve you of, for just a minute, of a little bit of false guilt, okay? Before I lay some real guilt on <laughs> Let me start with a false guilt. You are not responsible for every thought that enters your mind. You're not. I mean, you hear a conversation, you see something that, you know, you'd rather not have seen, but, but you know, th- those things happen all the time. These thoughts come into our minds. We're not responsible for that. We are responsible for what we do with those thoughts. We are responsible for how we process those things. Uh, 
It is amazing to me, as I start to step on some toes here, including my own, it is amazing to me what we allow ourselves to watch and to hear. It's amazing to me what we allow our children to watch on television. We allow them to see in, in movies, to listen to in, in lyrics of songs. We watch trashy TV shows. We listen to songs that have incredibly ungodly lyrics. And we say, you know, it doesn't really bother me. It's kind of a personal thing. I can handle that. That doesn't affect me. It does. It affects you. It's, it's, it's been a ton of research done on this over the years. We never really forget the things we see and hear. Now, you might not be able to consciously recall the exact scene, but that image and, and that concept, it comes back in living color. That old saying, garbage in, garbage out, it still holds true. What we put into our minds, what we allow into our thoughts, inevitably bears fruit, for good or for bad, in our behavior and our beliefs. In fact, when, when trashy entertainment doesn't bother you anymore, it's a pretty good sign that you've crossed a line in the sand. And I'll say this as well. One of Satan's greatest tricks is to wrap that trash in comedy. You ever notice in television shows and in movies, so many sinful things, so, 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 much, so much deviant behavior is kind of wrapped up in a comedic situation? You know why? Because Satan knows if, we can, if he can get us laughing at things that are sinful, he's winning the battle. But there is nothing funny about sin. That's what put Jesus on the cross. There's absolutely nothing funny about sin. Remember James said in James chapter 1, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has been conceived, after I've thought about it a while, after we've mulled it over, after we've considered it, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Those thoughts lead to sin. Sin leads to death. Paul stresses over and over again the importance of guarding your thoughts, guarding your mind. That's why we need the helmet of salvation. Let me make one more application, at least a thought, uh, as we start to wrap this thing up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is going to contrast good and evil and right and wrong. And he's going to use some of the same imagery in 1 Thessalonians 5 that he uses in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we, we've brushed up against this passage already in this uh, series, but let me go back and let's take a look again at 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. 
Paul says in, in the Thessalonian letter, put on faith and love as a breastplate, and here he says the hope of salvation as a helmet. Put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now when Paul uses the word hope here, he's not talking about hope the way we sometimes use it. You know, I hope it's a great day. I hope I get the raise. He's not talking about a wish. He's not talking about a desire. He's talking about a promise. He's talking about an assurance. He's talking about the promise of God for those who have received salvation through the blood of Christ. Now, here's why that's important. And here's why that's significant. You know, Paul talking in Ephesians 6, and Thessalonians as well, he's talking about the fact that we are in a battle. We're in a battle with Satan. Uh, we're in a conflict. Here's why the hope of salvation as a helmet is so significant. If you don't take anything else away from this lesson, um, try to pay attention to this. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we fight from victory, not for victory. We're fighting from a position of victory. We're not fighting for victory. Yeah, the battle's real. Yes, the enemy is really powerful, really motivated. He doesn't fight fair. Don't expect Satan to fight fair. But as Christians, we fight from victory, not for victory. The victory's already been claimed. Jesus claimed victory at the cross. As Christians, we win. <laughs> we win this thing. But we're still going to have to do battle. We're still going to have to stand, and we're still going to have to fight. We absolutely have to protect ourselves as we advance against the enemy. Paul tells us several times, strap on the armor and go to war. I like the story that, that came out of the Korean War. Uh, a section of Baker Company, a very decorated group of Marines, uh, a section of that company was separated from their battalion, and they actually had to kind of dig in uh, while the enemy was advancing on them. And they received a call on the radio asking exactly where the enemy was advancing from. And the guy on the radio told him, well, we've got enemy coming at us from the north and the south. And we actually have coming, enemy coming at us from the east and the west. And there was a long pause, and then the radio guy said, sir, there's no way they're getting away from us now. I must not have told that right, because that's actually a pretty good story. <laughs> that's fighting with assurance. That's fighting from a position of victory, not for victory. An assurance that we're going to win this thing. Remember in Joshua chapter 6, when the Israelites finally cross the Jordan River and get into the promised land? Joshua leads them into the promised land, and God pretty soon on tells them, I want you to take the city of Jericho. And Jericho is a fortified city. Walls are 30 feet tall, they're 6 feet wide. The Israelites are a bunch of wanderers, they haven't done battle in decades. And God says, I want you to take that city. In fact, he tells them in chapter 6 of verse 2, See, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its mighty warriors. There's mighty warriors in Jericho. But I want you to take the city. And so God gives Joshua very specific instructions. And to the people watching from the, from the towers on the walls, I'm sure they looked like fools. 
And I'm sure it didn't make any sense to anybody else as those Israelites start marching around the city of Jericho. But you know what they were doing when they were marching around that city? You know what that was? That was a victory parade. That's what it was. Because they were being obedient to the Lord. And what they were marching there, it was a victory parade. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there's this great, great phrase in here. Verse 14. But thanks be to God who made us his captives and leads us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. We are led along in Christ's triumphal procession. You know what we're doing right now? We're participating in a victory march. Jesus wins. God wins. And if we are obedient, just like those Israelites, they were obedient. If we're obedient, we win. We're going to fight. We're going to stand. But we are being led in triumphal procession. So wherever, wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. That's great wording. To spread the good news like a sweet perfume. The good news of Jesus Christ is powerful. It is life-changing. It's eternity-changing. It is a sweet perfume. So as soldiers, we advance. We do battle with a helmet of salvation on our heads in triumphal procession, spreading the good news like a sweet perfume. That's our charge. That's what's coming. That's what our commander is asking us to do. That's what he's prepared us to do. We've got a song that we're going to sing as a, as a song of encouragement. Uh, again, if we can help you in any way, if you've got something you need the church family to be praying for, come meet us in the front here. Let's go ahead and stand while we're singing. <laughs>